Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hi, Kevin. Evan, where are you? I'm out here in Seattle, and um, if I put my neck and head just right and peer between two buildings, I can see a sliver of Puget Sound. Wow, very cool. What's the weather like there in Seattle today? Actually, right now, it looks like the sun is kind of out. Uh, it was supposed to be rainy and cold all all week, so um, I need to get outside very quickly. Oh, that's too bad. You know, Seattle's one of our favorite places. We love, Debbie and I love to go to Seattle. Oh, that's so sweet. It is sweet. Go down to Pike Street Market, watch them throw some fish around, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I like to play catch with the fish. Yeah, it's always good. Uh, no, I will probably, I will take a walk down to the market at some point in time. It just depends on what the precipitation factor is at any particular moment that I get myself together here. And here's the other crazy thing. The dozen or so times that we've been in Seattle, it has never rained. Never. Yeah, if you, and that's the thing. When you go here and it's, uh, when you come here and it doesn't rain, uh, it's absolutely just, gorgeous um and the best uh i will say this um and i was talking with my waiter last night and it was very visible last year when i was here um and again on the way in from the airport um the homeless problem here uh people people without home security is really significant it's uh it's as bad as i've seen so it's um it's very sad um I don't have all the details on why the homeless crisis has become so big here, but uh, it does. It really does make you think a lot when, when, when you come into town and on the side of I-5, you know, they've got kind of those green hills and up into some like wooded areas and, and all along there, there's basically little shanty towns all set up. Ugh, that's terrible. Terrible to hear. All right. Speaking of terrible, no, actually, everything's going well now with the Mavericks. Uh, the Mavericks uh, have uh, evened this series at one-to-one uh, with the Utah Jazz. Neither game, of course, did they have Luka Doncic available to them because of his left calf strain, which we still don't have any idea whether he'll be able to play this week in Utah. Those games will be Thursday and Saturday. We don't have any idea if he'll end up playing in this series whatsoever. Um, they He did go out before the game last night, as we're taping this on Tuesday, on Monday night. He went out and shot some baskets by himself, and then he kind of milled around with the players, and then he shot some more baskets by himself again, uh, very gingerly, uh, kind of worked around the coaches who were there. Um, I don't feel – Good about him playing Thursday. Possible, I would think, that he could play on Saturday. But look, uh, the the Mavericks have to be very careful about this situation. Uh, Luka is still just 23 years old. These calf strains, if you rush people back, bad things can happen. We saw that to Kevin Durant. uh, Came back from a calf strain and then tore his Achilles uh, and was out for the entire next season. So um, you, you certainly don't want to risk anything uh, at this point. And that's one of the reasons why Jason Kidd has said all along that all of this is above his pay grade. Uh, I just get a green light or a red light 
from the medical staff and I do whatever they say, uh, which is exactly the role he should play in all of this. And that any coach at any level should play is that they defer to the medical staff and not the other way around. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, the Mavericks did play a crazy game against the Jazz. Uh, Jalen Brunson going off for 41 points without a single turnover, which is remarkable that a guy can handle a ball that much uh, in a game, in a playoff game at that, to score 41 points with no turnovers. Uh, just, just remarkable. Uh, and they needed every bit of that uh, to beat the Jazz. Um, they, they still played good defense, but they got killed on the boards once again, just as they did in game one. Uh, they did not get a great game from Spencer Didwitty. He played better in the second half, but he really struggled to make his shot in the first half. Um, they got uh, another so-so shooting game from Dorian Finney-Smith, who finally hit a few threes in the second half. But in the first half, when he missed a couple of shots, he had his head down after he took those shots and missed them. Not a good sign. But what uh, bailed the Mavericks out, besides Brunson's heroics, was the fact that um, Maxi Kleba had his best game as a pro, 26 points, 8 of 11 from three. Um, He was just phenomenal, and it was his – Best game, as uh, one of the Mavericks announcers said after the game, is his best game since the Carter administration. Uh, he's He had not shot that well in a long time, and that they absolutely needed every bit of that. So, uh, so Evan, here's what I'm going to ask you. What do you think the chances are that the Mavericks go up to uh, Salt Lake City on Thursday and do the same thing again and pull out game three if Luka can't play? What are the chances that they set another team record for threes in a playoff game? Probably not great. Um, I, I listen. I I don't feel like there's a chance for the Mavericks to win this series if they do not have Luca for a significant amount of time. Um, and then last night, obviously, they went out and found a way to win that game. But that was a game all all based upon great shooting and how often can you repeat that Kevin you know it's 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 not been it's it's not been something this team's been able to do on a regular basis um without Luca and so I if they don't have him you know they just is how many games is Jalen Brunson going to be able to take over yeah, you know, in the in game one, uh, I, I know there was a feeling of desperation that the that the Mavericks had lost that game, first game at home. Uh, they effectively lost the home court advantage they'd fought so hard to get. Uh, but the thing that you noticed in that game was that uh, Jalen Brunson and Spencer did what he both. They got all the shots they wanted. Uh, they dribbled into the lane. Uh, they pulled up, uh, and and you know, of, of course. You, you've got uh, Rudy Gobert looming there, and so no one's going, you know, to the bucket. I mean, it's unbelievable the way he can block shots. I mean, he's just – he has such great feet. He's so long, seven foot nine inch wingspan. Anybody who actually went in for a layup and he was in the lane, he blocked the shot. It was just unbelievable to watch him do that even, even in game two. Um, but uh, he has to respect – 
the guys out on the wings. He has to respect uh, when uh, Finney Smith is out on the wing or when Maxi Kleber is out. He has to cover one of those guys. And so you still have to penetrate uh, and get into the lane. And that's what the Mavericks did. And, and in game one, uh, uh, you know, the, the big problem for the Mavericks was on offense was that, that Jalen Brunson, who is their best player with uh, Luka out, when when he took a shot, he just wasn't making it. He, was, he took 24 shots to get 24 points. That's terribly inefficient. So I, I thought that there was a chance that, you know, if he, he'd be just more efficient out there and uh, in game two, and if Dinwiddie is more efficient, uh, then they had a chance to win because they only lost by six points in game one, even though they got killed on the boards and uh, they couldn't stop, you know, you know uh, Donovan Mitchell in the second half. Uh, but would I have thought that he would go off for 41 points? No. And they needed all 41 of those points, basically, to get that. I wrote before the before the game that I thought they had a chance to win because they just needed to be more efficient. I thought they needed to play Trey Burke to get them another playmaker. Trey Burke got in the game uh, in the first half, made his first shot a three. I thought, I'm looking like a genius here. This is going to be great. He played about, oh, I don't know, two more minutes, and we never saw him again. Uh, so... That didn't seem to make any difference. I, I'm, I'm still a little perplexed by the Davies Bertans thing, playing him out there. Uh, he's not making any shots. He can't guard anybody. He fouled somebody. He fouled Bogdanovich on a three-point shot, uh, it, which is just the worst thing you can do in basketball is foul somebody on a three-point shot. I just, It's just phenomenal to me that that even happens. Uh, so... Uh, I, I'm a little perplexed by that, but the the Mavericks small ball lineup uh, is giving Utah problems. Uh, they they ha- they're having a difficult time getting out of the rotations. What this is going to require is that you know we can't expect Maxi Kleber to score 26 points a night. We can't expect you know Jalen Brunson to score 41. We can't expect Dinwiddie to be a little more efficient. We can't expect Dorian Finney-Smith to make more shots. Um, so I, I think there's a way for the Mavericks to uh, uh, spread the love a little bit here, but it is going to be extremely difficult in Salt Lake City. It's a tough place to play. you got the altitude. you got that crowd, which is very loud. It's going to be very difficult for them to to split this. The, the most they can hope to do is to split the, the series up there in Salt Lake City on Thursday and Saturday, that's going to be well, really hard you, to do without Luca. If you do split the series up there, you're and and, and you do get Luca back after that, then you're playing a best of three with home with home court advantage uh, and Luca. And I'd, I'd take my chances at, at, at that. If they survive at two two coming out of Utah and they've got Luca back, I like their chances. I think what it just comes down to, though, I mean the way you've described it to me and. I went out to a restaurant in, in Seattle last night and tried to watch some of the game, and instead I got uh, Golden State and um, in Denver. Uh, this is a team that we've talked about over and over again, and, and I think on, on occasions you've talked about the Mavs needing a big three. They don't have a big two right now. Um, and without without a star, without a second star to turn to, you just – you know, I think your chances of, of having somebody step up are less than 50-50. Well, Jalen Brunson was a star last night, 41 points without a turnover. Unbelievable. He's made himself a lot of money. Uh, he's, of course, his contract is up 
after this season is over, uh, the Mavericks are have uh, put themselves in a corner here. They should have already signed him, uh, and he's going to cost them a lot of money uh, this summer because they can't conceivably let him go now. I know the Knicks are dying uh, to sign him. They'd love to have him uh, in New York. The question would be, does he want to be in a place where he is the big dog every night, or does he want to stay here in Dallas where he loves the coaching staff, likes the, the roster, and his – the Mavericks certainly was the, te- was the team that gave him the opportunity in the first place. All right, that's going to do it for our Mavs segment. We're going to move on now to the Rangers. Uh, and and I just like right now, Evan, right up front, I want to say I would like an apology from both you and Chris Woodward for the fact that I called out the bullpen after four games and both of you poo-pooed what I said. And now let's see where we where are the Rangers now with that bullpen. Yes, it's been another five games, and the bullpen has continued to, to really be bad. And But, Kevin, here, here's here's the bottom line. This team spent $585 million over the offseason. They spent $6 million of that on the bullpen, or $7 million of that, roughly 1.3% of their outlay. They didn't really address this. And so I think they knew going into the season they were going to have an uphill battle with the bullpen. Their hope was they could scramble around, they could maybe find another guy like they did in Ian Kennedy last year with, with either Greg Holland or Garrett Richards and keep themselves kind of afloat until they got Hernandez and LeClerc back, LeClerc back. And if they were better than they expected, and if somebody from that bullpen group did step up, then they'd be in a great position to go out and have some inventory and add and make a really strong bullpen for the playoff run. Um, that's not happened. And it's uh, what has been probably most disappointing for me in this nine-game stretch has been that guys that you would have hoped were going to take the next step, guys like Barlow and Brett Martin, have not been very good. Uh, they've gotten better at performances probably than they expected from Brock Burke, and Nick Snyder is up, and, and, and he's had – uh, he's the one guy who's got a really overpowering fastball, but there's there's nobody there that you identify and say, okay, that's a high leverage guy. I feel confident in throwing that guy out there in a high leverage situation. It is a scramble, and it's going to continue to be a scramble every night, unless, of course, you start getting six or seven innings from some starting pitchers, and you can pick and choose your bullpen guys. If you can do that and narrow the window down a little bit, you can eliminate some uh, some guesswork there. But we haven't had a starter on this team go more than five innings, and that's only happened on one occasion. So every night they're exposing an awful lot of bullpen arms. Yeah, this is the thing that surprises me, frankly, Evan, is that, you know, the one thing that, that with all the complaints about John Daniels over the last several years, you, you couldn't complain about the way he put together bullpens. Uh, he, he's done a good job of, of – fixing holes, patching holes, and, and finding guys who have been able to deliver, just like you said. Uh, and But going into this season, and I, and I guess I feel at fault for not, you know, pointing this out at the time. I You know, it was clear, obviously, that the, the rotation was going to be short. Everybody knew that. Uh, and that's a harder thing to do is to fill out a rotation than it is a bullpen. And so I, I, I didn't give them any grief for that. Uh but as you pointed out, you know, 
we've, we talked about a lot about all the money that was spent on the middle infield and, and even in, and a little bit in the outfield to, to add to uh, and then adding a, a starting catcher and all of that. Those were all good things that needed to be done. But the, the one thing they've been good at, they, they just left short. And, and when you know your rotation is going to be short, right, you, you know this is going to be a struggle to not take care of the bullpen so you could carry yourself through a little, uh, uh, give yourself a grace period of some kind. That just seems like a, an egregious error, a mistake on the on the Rangers' part. Well, I I also think you have to look back at John Daniels' track record with bullpens and how he's approached it. And with the exception of going out and signing Joe Nathan, by and large, he's pretty much let bullpens just fall into place. That he's found good surprising arms every year that have just kind of risen up and 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 help solidify the bullpen. Uh, and I think that probably there's a little bit of that approach with, with Chris Young as well. Um, and so that's what we're seeing is the, the idea that, okay, some things are going to fall into place here. Well, it's not. I mean, at least not early. Uh, could this could this get straightened out? Yeah, it could get straightened out. I mean, they it's not like they've had a problem throwing strikes. They've thrown plenty of strikes, but as I wrote this morning, they've thrown more strikes over the heart of the zone than any other team in the big leagues um, from the bullpen. And you just can't do that. You cannot miss over the heart of the zone. It's why they've given up 11 home runs. Uh, it's why the, they're, they're last in the league in just about every um, peripheral when it comes to bullpens. So uh, it's, been, it's been disheartening for the first nine days of the season. But I also, I also feel like if you got these guys in a room and asked them if this was terribly unexpected, if they could look at you with a straight face and say no. I, I do think that the way the Rangers have brought along starting pitchers, which I've, I've, I've wondered and worried about as being overly cautious throughout spring training, I do think it's going to pay some dividends down the road. I think these guys are less likely – to suffer uh, significant injuries because of a, a rushed ramp up. And if that's the case, and then you can start to settle down some of the bullpen rules, um, I think it will improve. Is it going to be a dominant bullpen? Certainly not for the first half of the season. There's just nobody to grab any high leverage role at this point in time. Um, Brock Burke was the guy who had the most impressive first 10 days of the season. And then he went out on Sunday, and he wasn't very good. So uh, there's not a lot of experience out there. Um, there's not there's not a, uh, a a ton of actually overpowering arms. The velo's up, but it's not overpowering. Uh, and and so I think the Rangers are going to continue to have a struggle there. Yeah, you know, and and the discussion about uh, protecting arms, and obviously, you know, you want to do that with the. Uh, the short and spring training, you, everybody's on a short leash. We've seen that and we've seen it across baseball. Uh, we saw, you know, Clay Kershaw pulled from his st- uh, start, which he was throwing a perfect game yeah. because I guess he got up to 80, 90 pitches and they decided that was enough. Uh, uh, I, get, I guess my point is that there are pitchers out there pushing the limits of this kind of thing. And they, they are getting six and seven innings out of them. And you're not getting, you're not even getting five out of the Ranger starters. And that's, and that's another killer here is that, these guys just aren't going anywhere. They're they're having big blow up innings. Almost all of them are having one really bad inning. But I I, I do think that 
you know, it was noticeable to me during spring training that uh, the Rangers went over to Oakland, and I think uh, that day uh, Montes pitched or, or Mania before he was traded, and the Rangers, I think, used Gray. Gray pitched two innings that day, uh, and the A's pitcher pitched four and two-thirds, and it just kind of stuck out to me. And as you looked as, as spring training kept going, there was a wider gap between the Rangers and other teams. And I just think that based on what happened in 2020 with Kluber and Leclerc, uh, I think the Rangers said, we're going to err on the side of caution here. And it may not help at the start of the season, but it will help uh, in the battle of attrition as the year goes on. That still remains to be seen. The next step is that these guys got to start going five, six, and seven innings uh, and, and that's got to happen. That's got to happen here in the next turn of the rotation or so. So when is Gray going to be back? He's supposed to be back tonight as we speak on Tuesday. So, uh, uh, and uh, I'm assuming then that, uh, um, let's see, we also had Spencer Howard also had a blister problem. Is that correct? Yes. And they, they don't expect that will be a long-term issue either. Um, I, I think that, Look, you're going to start trimming down some of these bullpen guys. You know, I don't think Matt Moore was here for the long term. He was a desperation plug, plug him in. Uh, I, I There's going to be some continued trimming. I'm not so sure that the Rangers have hit uh, lightning in a bottle with Greg Holland the way they did with Ian Kennedy. Uh, and there's going to be some more auditioning, and it may get it, it, it may continue to be a rocky road for a while. Uh, I think Nick Snyder needs to be given a longer look now that they've called him up uh, in in leverage situations. Um, I think the Rangers need to start looking at some of their guys at, at AAA as well. Um, Jesus Tinoco is a guy that they signed as a minor league guy, and he's off to a good start. The unfortunate thing is that the two guys who were positioned to potentially make a big quick run this year, Daniel Robert um, and uh, Yuri Rodriguez, are both off to rough starts at AAA as well as relievers. So the Rangers' only option really on the on the on the relief front is: do they take somebody like Otto or Alexi, who may not long term be a starter for this club, and look at transitioning them into a reliever? And I'm not sure that they're there yet. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers talk uh, in this uh, podcast uh, on Tuesday as we're taping this. So we're going to talk now about the Cowboys and uh, the upcoming draft, uh, which will be a week from Thursday. Um, we will, uh, there's always an exciting time for me. You know, I, uh, I, I love team building. You know, when I was, even when I was a kid uh, growing up, I loved the prospect of any time that the trades were being made, stuff was going on. The problem was growing up in Houston that the, the teams there always made, really awful trade. Some of the worst trades in sports history. You know, I remember the, the Oilers trading Ken Houston to the Redskins for five uh, mops, uh, mop handles. Uh, it was, it was that kind of stuff that happened all the time. Uh, so I was scarred by all of that. And I, I think I've tried to, uh, to, to live that out and maybe uh, rectify all that here in my, in my lifetime since and in the sports. Uh, so anyway, uh, the, the Cowboys will be drafting 24th unless they trade up. Jerry Jones has said he would be glad to trade up if it, they saw somebody they really like. I can only imagine uh, the idea when he talks about someone they like and trading up to get them would mean, 
either a someone has dropped uh, uh, a particular player that they really like, or uh, if they feel like there is a uh, well, or in conjunction with that, it'd be probably a more like a defensive end or a, a, a particular wide receiver they really like. I have a hard time believing they would trade up for an offensive lineman because at 24, uh, a couple of the guys who are, who are going to be available, Zion, maybe Zion Johnson uh, from uh, Boston College or Kenyon Green from Texas A&M uh, or Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, the center. Uh, those are three guys who could probably walk right in from day one and be starters for the Cowboys uh, at 24. Uh, so uh, I am in favor of them doing that. I realize that they have to, to replace Randy Gregory, uh, who signed with Denver, and uh, and replace his productivity. When he's on the field, he was very good. The problem was keeping Randy on the field uh, all along throughout his career with the Cowboys. Um, Calvin Watkins, uh, one of our Cowboys beat guys, uh, wrote that replacing Gregory, uh, the defensive end, is an 8 out of 10 on the need scale for the Cowboys. So there is a there's kind of been a, a little bit of a rush here lately, if you look at mock drafts, showing that the Cowboys would indeed draft a defensive end uh, at 24. Um, my experience has been that uh, it is hard to find a really good pass rusher that late in the first round. Now, the Cowboys did draft uh, Demarcus Lawrence in the second round, uh, and he has ended up being uh, their best defensive lineman for like, a, oh, I don't know, the last five or six years. Uh, so you can obviously find the right kind of players uh, or that kind of player later on in a draft. You just have to be very good at it. Um, so my, my position is the Cowboys absolutely need a walk-in starter at left guard, uh, they need competition at center. Uh, they might even need, you know, competition at right tackle. Uh, and at some point, they're going to have to replace Tyron Smith, who's who misses more and more time at left tackle. Uh, the bottom line in all of this is that the offensive line, which is once the Cowboys' strong point, the strength of this team, is no longer the case. Uh, I would I would argue that the offensive line might be the weakest point on the team at this point. Uh, with the exception maybe of linebacker because of the lack of depth there. Uh, so anyway, Evan, can you make a case for me that the Cowboys do indeed need to draft a pass rusher in the first round? Well, I mean, you look at some of these mocks, and I, I don't know where we stand on Mel Kuyper anymore, but his latest mock has three defensive ends going in the first three picks. Um, and Jermaine Johnson going seventh overall, so it's it's hard to me it's hard for me to believe that there would be um, five six defensive ends that would that would really be difference makers. Um, I, I think if you if you want to get a pass rusher, you're going to have to trade probably up into the top twelve, um, and I don't know what the cost of that is going to be. Well, it's going to be more than what the Cowboys can pay because all they've got they've got several uh, fifth round picks, but as we know on the uh, on the point scale, that's not going to be enough to to vault you into the top of the first round. You're going to have to trade your second round pick 
uh, and uh, and probably a couple of fifth round picks. And that's going to really put a serious dent in your draft hall for this season. And as we know, the Cowboys need to replace several people that they lost uh, through free agency. They, they, they've got, you know, wounded areas there at linebacker and the defensive line, the offensive line and at wide receiver. So that's an awful lot to replace. And this is a deep draft and it's considered a very good one. Uh, and I think this is the not a good time for the Cowboys to uh, lighten up in the draft. I think this is a, this is a time that you would like to have extra picks, uh, maybe even in the fifth round as they, as they do show. Uh, so this is going to be uh, a, a very interesting uh, a draft as far as I'm concerned for the Cowboys. Well, they always are. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what Jerry's going to do uh, and whether he will actually try to trade up. I, I just don't, I, I really don't see it this time. I know the last time they, they drafted uh, low like this, they took Taco Charlton. That was, of course, the, the famous incident where they did not take T.J. Watt, who went to the Steelers instead. Uh, they took Taco because that was the guy that Rob Marinelli liked, uh, and he was a better scheme fit than T.J. Watt because T.J. Watt was basically – considered uh, a 3-4 defensive end, not a 4-3 defensive end like Taco Charlton. Well, T.J. Watt has only been, you know, one of the best players in the NFL uh, ever since then, so that didn't exactly work out for the Cowboys. Uh, and I, I can't really gig them too much because I was on board with that whole scheme fit thing back then. But as uh, several experts have pointed out since then, when a, when a player comes available to you, and he's really good, you need to change your scheme. You need you need to, to make your scheme fit the player, not the other way around. And I should have known that because that is one of the things that I have observed over my many years in this business is that the very best coaches were the ones who found ways to get this player on the field and, and make that player effective, uh, not the other way around. Uh, Flexibility and, is a trait. Rigidity is not. No, it is not. You know, there's there have been so many times and instances over the course of my career where I've seen, you know, uh, coaches do the right thing and find ways to get guys on the field and uh, when they do the, the best things they can do. And the Cowboys did that last year with Micah Parsons. They moved him around the field. They found out where he was effective, uh, you know, most effective. The, the, he wasn't even the guy they wanted. You know, they wanted one of the cornerbacks, J.C. Horn, uh, Patrick Certain, uh you know, who went to Denver before them. Both of those guys were picked before they picked. Uh, and so they did not have uh, a cornerback on their board. And actually, Micah Parsons was was ranked higher on their board than either one of those guys. They traded back. He was still there. They said, what the heck, let's take him. Uh, I don't think even as highly regarded as he was by the Cowboys, no one projected he would be as good as he was last year. The Cowboys are to be commended not only for taking him, but for using him the way they did and as effective as he was. He was just a tremendous player for the Cowboys last year. Uh, so there's even, you know, a feeling that maybe they should take another linebacker to, that would allow him uh, to play uh, a little bit more at defensive end to make up for the loss of Gregory, or they should take a defensive end so you can leave him at linebacker and he could be as versatile as he has been all along. Uh, I think those are uh, interesting questions about what to do with him and, and what where they're going to go. 
But next week, uh, when, when David Moore is back with us, we're going to have our mock draft. So, Evan, make sure you study up on all that. I want you to be able to have three rounds of a mock draft. Huh. Well, I just, yeah, I, I've, I've got my guy that I think would be a sleeper for the Cowboys. Um, uh, you'll be surprised at where he comes from. Um, but, you know, if Georgia you State, work, Georgia. If you can work a linebacker in there, um, I, I just think that N'Kobe Dean's going to be an outstanding NFL player. Did you already give us your sleeper? Yeah. My gosh, you're supposed to. I don't to know how much of a sleeper he is. You know, ESPN's got him going 21 to New England, but uh, that's a guy that if I if if I could make a, a minor trade up to get to number 20 and steal him, that that's somebody I'd be interested in because it just looks like all of the attractive defensive ends are going to be off the boards. Uh, I don't know what the deal is on the Purdue um, George Croaptis. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal is on, on him. He's the one other intriguing name among the defensive ends. It seems like he might be there. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm a believer in taking the best guy at the position you can get. Uh, if if that means that the offensive lineman you're getting the best one as opposed to the fifth best defensive end or the you know fourth best linebacker, then you ought to take the offensive lineman. Get the best people you can get at that position. That's the way I like it. I mean, I you know, I I just I, I know that Jordan Davis and 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 all those uh, there's a bunch of guys on that Georgia defense that are getting a lot of run. Obviously, um, Trayvon Walker among them. But to me, Nicobe Dean was the guy who made the most plays. So um, he sticks out for me. And if all he's right. still there as you're approaching number 24, that's a guy I'd, I'd have some interest in. All right, we need to have somebody else. Uh, so when we talk about this uh, next week, you can have someone else that you already gave up your sleeper a, a whole week ahead of time. You know, that's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to keep your sleeper up your sleeve. But, you know, anyway. I think I'm going to keep my sleeper asleep. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our Sports Day Insider this week. We thank you for listening to it, and we hope that you will be back with us next week when we can talk more about where the Mavericks are at that point. They'll have played two more games at that point, and we'll really have a lot better idea of, of what their prospects are, what uh, Lucas' prospects are, and, uh, and we're going to be very close to figuring out what the Cowboys are going to do in the draft. As for what the Rangers do, God help them. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.